Blog Talk Radio. National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I want to welcome the callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. If you have logged in as a guest and you wish to participate in the chat, please sign in through your Facebook account or blog, Talk Radio. Well, I am happy to welcome Leonard Todd, the author of Carolina Clay, the story of the slave potter known as Dave. Born in South Carolina, Leonard was educated at Yale University. He is a former Fulbright Scholar to France. He lived for many years in New York City, where he began his writing career with travel articles, short stories, and novels for young adults. Leonard Todd will be talking with us about the great ceramic artisan known as Dave, who lived in South Carolina during the 19th century. He was a potter, a poet, and a slave. Leonard has told Dave's story to audiences at the Smithsonian, at Oxford, on National Public Radio, and today he will be telling it to us. So let me give a warm welcome to Leonard Todd to research at the National Archives and beyond. Leonard, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Bernice. I'm delighted to be here talking with you. Well, I am delighted, and I am looking forward to you sharing to with us what you discovered about Dave. But before we even begin with what you discovered about Dave, tell us how this whole interest in Dave began for you. Well, it's it's quite a story, uh, Bernice, because even though I grew up in South Carolina, and this is a South Carolina story, I didn't find out about Dave until 30 years after I had moved to New York City. And one morning in January of 2000, I opened the New York Times, and across the top of the arts section was an article 
about a South Carolina slave whose name was Dave. I I was intrigued because, as I said, I was from South Carolina, but I had never heard of this man, and I, I read about how he created these wonderful pots. He was a potter, uh, an extraordinary potter who could make utilitarian pots larger than anyone known in that area of the South. They could hold 40 gallons uh, of uh, uh, they could contain 40 gallons, uh, which is enormous. And not only that, he sometimes wrote original poems on his pots while the clay was still damp. And not only that, he sometimes signed his name to his pots. And as you know, and as I'm sure many of your listeners know, it was against the law during much of slavery times for um, enslaved African Americans to learn to read and to write. And so all of this was such a mystery, and it was an amazing story there in the New York Times, and I read it with such interest. But the really amazing part for me came at the end of the article where they named the owners of Dave and I recognized them as my ancestors. And I was stunned. I had no idea that my ancestors had been in the pottery business. I didn't know for sure that they had owned slaves. Uh, I knew that they were from Edgefield, South Carolina, where Dave was from, as I learned from that article. And that made me sure that that was who this article was talking about, my ancestors, uh, John Landrum and Lewis Miles. And this moment of finding that revelation in the New York Times, just it was like opening a door to the past because I could see from my, my dining table in New York City, I could look back 150 years to... This, this time in Edgefield where um, my family was making pots. I mean, I had no idea they'd ever made pots. And where they owned slaves who were making those pots with them. And it was truly a revelation to me and a very uncomfortable one because of the slavery part of it. I was really delighted that I was connected to this wonderful slave pot- potter, but I was I was really dismayed that the connection between me and him was the institution of slavery. Right, because so, I was, you know, as you as you're talking and and you said this was the was opening the door to the past for you. But how, I mean, did it take you a while to really, you know, absorb what was what was actually there, what you were reading, to say, oh, this is my family? It was, I was completely stunned. It was a completely different picture of my family than the one that had been handed down to me. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, uh, I guess families tend to remember the good stuff, you know, and they forget the bad stuff. And mm-hmm. there was nev- never a mention of slavery. 
there was never a mention of uh, pottery, which is not a particularly elite thing, you know, for uh, for someone to do. It's a wonderful craft and so forth, but the thing that was remembered were the silver swords that were presented for gallantry and the big houses with columns and mm-hmm. the wealth and so forth and da-da-da. Those were the things that were passed on to me as the story of my family. But what I discovered was a very, very, very uh, I discovered that those things were true, but there was much, much, much more to the story mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. that had been mm-hmm. left behind along the way. Well, I noticed that in the beginning of your book, you did include your family tree. Yes. And so uh, why did you feel, you know, why did you include your family tree in the beginning of the book? I did that because if you look closely, I I believe I say how each of these members was connected to Dave, uh, mm-hmm. and when when he was owned by that particular man, um, uh, my great great grandfather uh, owned him from a certain period to a certain period, and his his uh, cousin owned him from another period to another period, and. Um, I, I wanted to show how these men and women were connected to Dave. It wasn't about me. It was about Dave, that family It was tree. about Dave, right. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a question coming out of the chat, and I don't know if you visited South Carolina, uh, ever went back, but there's a question. Did you ever wonder about what was supporting the big house, the big houses and the columns? What was supporting them, you mean? Uh, yes. In other words... Uh, the, I mean, the institution of slavery and yes, that maybe yeah. there may have been a connection, but nobody ever said anything to you about it. You know, when I was growing up, um, I just have to be honest about this, there there was never any mention at all about slavery, and it. I was just a kid, you know, a little southern boy, and it just didn't dawn on me to ask any questions past that um mm-hmm. and so and then of course when i when i was grown i certainly knew about slavery i'm not saying that but i just didn't connect it with my family i think that that was because i didn't want to you know mm-hmm. and i'm i'm perfectly willing to admit that i just didn't want to face that but now, after I read that article, I didn't have any choice. You know, mm-hmm. here was a man, not just any man uh, or, or an anonymous slave. This was a man whose name was there. His name was Dave. And how could I look away, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. I decided. I decided that I was going to find out as much as I possibly could about Dave because very little was known about him and I was in in doing that I wanted to also find out about my family and understand you know what these slave owners what was in their hearts if if I possibly could mm-hmm. you know we can't we can't go back all that time and ever know uh 
the people that we came from, but we can we can make a stab at it, and that's what I wanted to do. Right. So and and I, one of the things you know that you and I share is that we do have ancestral roots in the old Edgefield district of South Carolina. Exactly. And yeah. you know, just as you're mentioning slavery, um, it was something that I I suspected that my some of my family members were uh, enslaved and that they all were not free. And indeed, I did discover my ancestors enslaved in Edgeville. So it oh. is something that I think we need to talk about it, and, and I'm glad that you made the decision to continue to study what was going on in, in that community and about your family's connection. Well, you know, I just somehow didn't have a choice anymore. I couldn't turn my back anymore on it. And mm -hmm. uh, it it truly was, has been, it continues to be revealed to me. Uh, the, my book came out a few years ago, and people have written me uh, who are related to me. They've discovered, we've discovered each other that we're cousins, and they tell their story to me. And I find out more and more about my family, but also Dave's story continues to be revealed as, and I will tell you later on in our conversation about new things that have been discovered about him. But I feel like it's an ongoing um, revelation, really. And I just thank thank whoever's in charge for um, letting this happen um, during my lifetime, that I was able to to sort of find out what these roots are that um, that led, you know, down to my life. And it, it helps me to sort of put things in perspective. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, tell us more about your journey to learn more about your your family and also Dave. Well, um, I, I came to South Carolina. I left New York uh, on a visit to come to South Carolina, to Edgefield, even though I, I grew up in Greenville, South Carolina, which is only two hours northwest, I guess, of Edgefield. And I'd heard about Edgefield. My grandmother used to tell me about Edgefield, but I had never set foot in Edgefield. So I wanted to now, after I'd read that article in the New York Times, and I came to Edgefield and I started doing research. I have to say everybody was so welcoming to me. And almost immediately I found five fifth cousins right here in Edgefield. They found me. They walked up to me and said, we're related to you. And that was that was exciting. And I began to discover things about Dave. And I stayed here on several different visits uh, for months at a time. And my wife, um, who is a poet and a very creative, wonderful person, came down to visit me in Edgefield during one of these longer stays and we just liked it so much. She was as, as intrigued as I was by the town and by the people and by the history and by Dave's story. And so we just looked around for houses, and we found one by a creek out in the country and countryside and 
we made this rash decision to leave New York City, leave Manhattan, and move to Edgefield. And we did it, and we've been here 12 years now. Wow. Loving it. Yeah, yeah. It was was a very, very, very big change for both of us. I can imagine that was a big change for both of you. It was, and it was bigger for her because she was uh, had never really been to the South except to meet my parents in Greenville when we when we got married, and she was from Cleveland, Ohio, and so she really didn't know what to expect. But she's very gutsy, <laughs> and she wanted to do it, and and uh, I I actually thought Edgefield would be like Greenville, but. It is not at all. Greenville is a very progressive, um, bustling, industrial place, and um, Edgefield is quiet and sleepy and living, still living its history, you know, very involved with its history. Yes, and it is. So, uh so it was perfect for me as a researcher into history, but it was odd in a way to, to be... Um, you know, every morning back in the 19th century again, uh, which is kind of the way living in Edgefield is. But it's a wonderful place, and I have loved the people and loved the town. So you're now living in Edgefield. Is that when you began the research, or prior to moving to Edgefield, you had gathered a lot of uh, information about Dave and your family? I had. I started uh, during the, the trips that I made down here, and then once I was down here, it was, of course, a full-time thing. And I want to share with your um, listeners, uh, who I know many of them are researching their family members. And Am I right about that? Yes. Yes. Well, I, the way I I started to research Dave, and I think this might be of interest to them, um, so little was known about him just um his his approximate date of birth which had been discovered 1801 and um a, a few other sort of mark uh landmarks in his life so i decided i would <clears throat> make a timeline of his life just listing you know in a in chronological order all all of the the facts and dates that I knew about him, which, as I said, were not that many. And then I added to that everything that I had been able to discover about the, the my ancestors, the men and women of the families that owned him when when they were when they were born and died and married and uh, or, or went broke, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I added the. Um, sort of news events, national events, uh, calamities like the Charleston earthquake. And, you know, anything that might have had an effect on Dave or on my family members. And pretty and then, thank goodness, I had the inscriptions from Dave's pots that I could also, and they were all dated, so I could add those inscriptions, which were Dave's own original couplets, so his own words, I had about 30 of those that I could add to that timeline. And I could see if there was, if Dave was responding to some 
national event or some um, event in his uh, owner's family's history or what were these his his words what did they have to do with what was going on around him and this didn't necessarily need, lead to revelations but it was by the time i had done all of that that i described i had a, an outline in a way of dave's life and i think that your your reader your listeners might try something like this maybe maybe they have uh, with with their ancestors. Right. Well, there's a comment coming out of the chat room, and you mentioned added the owners into the timeline, and the comment uh-huh. is that it's always becomes knowing everything about the slave owners. That helps tremendously. If you know, you can add them to the the owners to that timeline. So it's really good that you you knew it because it was your family and you could add that to Dave's timeline. That's exactly right. And and in South Carolina, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the enslaved people were not able to or were not allowed to read and write, so we don't have letters for the most part from mm-hmm. um the slaves. But we do have letters from their owners. And so Mm -hmm. it's really ironic, Bernice, but in order to know the slave, you have to first know the slave owner Mm -hmm. and know everything you can about the slave owner. And uh, then, you know, some of that will inform um, the life of the the slave that you are um, researching. Right. Now, uh, one of the things that Edgefield does have, and that's the archives and the Tompkins Library, how um, many times did you go into both of those sources to identify information on your family? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I I can't even estimate how many times. When I first went to Edgefield, um, I rented an apartment right there on the square uh, for three months at a time, and it looked over in one direction at the archives and the other direction at the Tompkins Library, the genealogical library. And so I, as soon as I got up in the morning, I, I could see where I was going for the day, and I would spend the day ev- either with um, Tanya Browder, uh, as she was, that was her name then. She's Tanya Guy now who is the director of the uh, Tompkins Library, and she could lead me through all of the uh, microfilm copies of the uh, Edgefield Advertiser, which they have there at the library, this wonderful, wonderful resource. Uh, And they have file folders on every, uh, virtually every historical family in Edgefield with clippings, copies of letters. Uh, It's just astonishing. And then across on the other side of the square is the archives, and there uh, Tricia Glenn, a wonderful archivist, uh, could help me and lead me back into this huge vault in the back of of the uh, archives. I mean, enormous. You've been in there, haven't you? Oh, yes, I have been there. Oh, it's just astonishing, and uh, just shelves going up higher, you know, like twice as tall as as a man. Uh, with uh, 
ledgers and and copies of letters, and it's just astonishing. So, yeah, I spent many, many hours in both of these places. And then the Caroliniana Library in Columbia mm-hmm. and the State Archives in Columbia also were w- wonderful sources. I And in the State Archives, I found um, where I found the Dave's signature on uh, the list of people who registered to vote right after the Civil War. So that was very exciting. I knew that he was involved politically then and had actually voted or tried to. That's a whole story here in Edgefield um, that maybe we won't have time to go into. But anyway, he registered to vote, and I hope he was able to vote. So this is just a such a, a exciting opportunity just to hear you talk about this research. And uh, to, to see that, indeed, Dave could write. Well, I want you to just share with us a couple of inscriptions that you found on some of the pottery. And also, now, you did go to an exhibit in New York where you had an opportunity to see some of Dave's work. Tell us about what you saw. Well, that was the, the the article that I had read in the New York Times was announcing this traveling exhibit of Dave's work that had started at the McKissick Museum. Uh, it was curated by a wonderful woman whose name was Jill Coverman, uh, who is dead now, but had was a wonderful help to me when I was doing my research and a, a, a preeminent Dave scholar. But she had organized this wonderful first-time-ever exhibition of Dave's work, which then traveled to the Wintertour Museum in uh, Delaware. And that was being written up in the New York Times when I I first heard about Dave. But so I traveled from New York to Wintertour to see it. And uh, the first Dave pot I ever saw was there at the museum. It was on the first floor in the entrance rotunda of the wonderful, beautiful museum. And it was in a glass case with a light shining down on it. And Dave's pots are utilitarian, big, bulbous, strong brown pots that were meant to hold uh, meat or foodstuffs for the most part and they have a handle on either side, and Dave usually signs them on the shoulder of his jar, uh, of the jar. And I saw that in front of me, and I walked across this big, rotunda room with a marble floor and just looked looked at that pot, and the, our, my shoulders were the same height as the shoulder of the jar, and I felt like I was meeting Dave for the first time, and honestly, I said, hello, Dave, when I walked oh, up wow. to it. Yes. It was such a moment. I, It was a big moment, and his name was right there on it, and I just felt like this was the beginning of a story, and it was the beginning of a story. And um, I was very moved by that exhibition because there were, oh, maybe 30 pots by him of all different sizes and <clears throat> they had different inscriptions on them and 
I don't remember the ones that the exact ones that were there, but I can tell you some of Dave's inscriptions. Um, I'll start with two that I think are just so interesting. Um, I think of them as Dave and Love. Uh, they were in, um, let's see, I'm looking down this list. Uh, they were in 1840 when Dave would have been about 40 years old, and he had been separated from, not not by his choice or her choice, but from his wife, uh, when many of the slaves in the Drake family that he was owned by were taken west to Louisiana, and he was left behind, and I can tell you why he was left behind in a few minutes, but anyway, he was then taken to a bought by another of my ancestors and i believe it's my belief that at that time he met his new wife a a new woman that he fell in love with and that was 1840 and here's here's what he wrote in february of 1840 what's better than fish what's better than kissing while we both are at fishing. <laughs> that is such a funny <laughs> poem. What's better than oh. kissing while we both are at fishing? So he was he was telling a little short story there. He and this woman that he was so attracted to went out, I guess in a boat or from a pier or I don't know what, from the shore, went out fishing, and he just wanted so much to kiss her. And so he's reporting that on his jar which she no doubt would have seen. And then about six months later, he wrote, another trick is worse than this. Dearest Miss, spare me a kiss. So those are Dave's romantic poems, <laughs> which I find so interesting. And that was the only time he ever wrote like that. Others were very um, serious and sort of religious uh, I made this jar for cash, though it's called lucre trash, saying <laughs> saying that that's kind of a quote from a Bible verse, which I can't quite quote right now, but um, about filthy lucre. You've heard that. That's a, a, from the Bible, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. meaning that uh, we shouldn't fall in love with money. Mm-hmm. And he said, mm-hmm. I made this jar for cash, though it's called lucre trash. Luca and trash. the thing that Luca trash, and and the thing that this tells us about Dave, and this is confirmed by other sources uh, about other slaves, is that they were from time to time allowed by their owners to make on their day off to make whatever it is that they was their uh, art or that they were artisans about if they were carpenters or whatever. Uh, Dave was allowed to make uh, pots and sell them on his own. Because, and this is what he's doing here. I made this jar for cash, is what he's saying. Mm-hmm. So th- that's what's so great about these poems, is that there are little um, biographical details that he may or may not have even meant to put in there, but they tell us things about Dave. We know that he fell in love in 1840, and uh, 
we know that uh, in 1857, when this one was made, he was selling his own uh, jars for cash. So he had a little Right, and that money. adds up to that timeline. Well, there's a question from the chat room. Uh, did Dave have children with his first wife who were so away? You know, this she had children. Um okay. uh she had uh, two boys, George and I have for the moment forgotten uh those names, but um I don't I don't know, I don't believe, however, that those were were Dave's children. Uh, they were from an earlier marriage, I believe. Uh, George and John. Okay. Uh, okay, uh, well, we're going to take a quick break, Leonard, and come yes. right back and continue to talk about Carolina Clay and the Legend of Dave. Okay? Great. at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander-Bennett, and you can join me every week at 9 p.m. Eastern Time where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy and history questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio and iTunes. Well, you have been listening to author Leonard Todd share the story of Carolina Clay, the life and legend of the slave Potter Dave. Now, Leonard has already given us some background information on how he discovered his connection to Dave, and I want you to continue, Leonard, to tell us a little bit more about you and what you uncovered about Dave that could help us understand him better. Well, I'll be glad glad to, Bernice. Um, while, while we're talking about Dave's family and his wife that he was separated from that a, a listener had a question about her she i believe went with um dave's owners to louisiana and i believe that she never came back uh and that dave found a new wife uh, when he was um 
uh, traded uh, to another ancestor of mine, Reverend John Landrum. And I I believe, and I, I have to keep saying I believe, because often, as I know you have found out, you have to make some guesses. You have to speculate a little bit because this, the slave record is so um, blurred and often there's just not the information. And you have to, I call it triangulate. You have to find this fact on, over here and you find this fact over here. And where they come together may help to prove this third fact. And um, that's what I've had to do with Dave's uh, family uh, tree. But I have some real, really exciting information about that. Um, I did my best to, and you will see it on page 226 of my book, uh, I, I created a speculative family tree for Dave, the very closest I could get to his descendants from his second wife Louisa yes. and and I go f- from on the left from Caroline and Mark Jones down through the Jones family to uh, Daisy Bell Jones and then I, I I have to stop there because I just lost track I could not I ran into that brick wall that genealogists are all familiar with I couldn't find Dave's family past six or so, seven generations down from him, six generations. However, this is the wonderful news. A wonderful uh, genealogist whose name is April Hines picked up where I left off on this, checked out what I had done to make sure it was correct, and she felt it was. And then she was able, as of just a very few months ago, like three months ago, she was able to locate the descendants of one line of of Dave's family. And she put me on the phone with two sisters and a brother who were about my age in, in their 70s. And we just made this wonderful connection. I was... I, I was overcome because I had been looking for them for so long, and then suddenly this friend, April Hines, found them and uh, made the connection, and they didn't know anything about Dave, just like I hadn't known anything about Dave, but they knew about their family members almost up to Dave, and then through records and so forth, we were able to connect their their family members to Dave and it was really a beautiful conversation that we had together oh Leonard this is wonderful and I know April, April yeah. has been a guest on, on my show uh, oh really so, yes yes so you were able to make that connection well how did the family feel about this discovery that they were a part of this famous Dave the Potter story. Well, they were overjoyed to find out, as you you would be, to just to get the information of, of like two more generations of your family that you didn't know about. 
and then to find out that one of them was such a, a highly revered artisan and an, a meaningful historical character. So they have been very excited about it, and <clears throat> we're hoping that, that we'll be able to bring them here to Edgefield. And I'll tell you, oh, the, the reason we, one reason we want to bring them is because, this is the other great news, just within the last couple of months, we got word that Dave has been accepted into the South Carolina Hall of Fame for this year, and we are thrilled about it, and we want to bring them here to Edgefield to celebrate that and to have a Dave Day here in Edgefield. So a lot's going on wow. in the story of Dave. Yes, then when is this supposed to this is wonderful i know it's it's fabulous news and we don't yet know the exact date of the there's going to be a ceremony in charleston south carolina to induct dave into the hall of fame and then we'll have we hope uh dave day in edgefield but it's all just in the planning stages right now and i i will let you know as soon as I, I know, because I know your listeners would like to know as well. Yes, but well, there's a question out of the chat. When did Dave pass away? Dave, pa The last mention we have of Dave was in the newspaper in 1873, and it's a little short article. This is in Edgefield, the Edgefield Advertiser, <clears throat> and it's a little short article about... Uh, about another former slave who always delivered the pottery to the stores and to the farms, uh, to the people who had bought the pottery. And he was a good friend of Dave's, they said in the article, and they said, this leaves, with him gone, this leaves Dave alone with his glory and his jugs. And that's the last mention we have of Dave that was in 1873 so we don't know he's missing from the 1880 census so sometime between 1873 and 1880 is probably when he died right and there's a, a, a question coming out of the chat so that everyone can hear it what was Dave's surname The, day, the name that Dave took uh, after the Civil War was Drake, David Drake. And he is often referred to, of course, today as David Drake. Um, however, I, I refer to him as Dave because that's the way he signed his pots, and uh, that's what he was known as for, you know, 70 of his years of uh, of his life 65 years of his life well it is just exciting to know that that Edgefield is going to have a Dave day and that that recognition that you mentioned is recognition that I'm sure the family will stand as proud family members of Dave and to to know that they are descendants of this very very brave man uh to have 
shown that he could write and that he did write, and understanding that there was a point in time where it was basically illegal to teach a slave to write. That is correct, and uh, you could be severely punished for it. In some of the uh, slave uh, memories that were recorded uh, in the 1930s, uh, some mm-hmm. South Carolina slaves refer to, uh, I remember one said that if you were caught with a book or with a pencil, uh, you could be whipped. Uh, it, it varied, of course. You know, some owners didn't care, I suppose, but it, it was, most owners were very, very, very careful to keep that knowledge from their slaves because they were afraid. Honestly, that's that's what the bottom line is. They were afraid of a slave uprising, mm-hmm. and they felt they felt that if that knowledge, you know, and ability to communicate uh, and have ideas of your own and all would lead to a slave uprising. Right, and that was their fear. That so they chose to not educate the slaves. Well, there That's is a exactly question. Right. You have two. You actually have two questions. One, is it known where in Louisiana his first wife was sold? Uh, she, if if in if in fact this is all correct, and I believe it to be correct, she was taken to Mount Lebanon, Louisiana, which is in northwest uh, Louisiana, uh, on the way to Shreveport. Up in uh-huh. that corner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, is there an existing inventory of Dave's work? Of of his pots, uh, of a his list pots, of his yes. pots. Yes, um, there is, and um, it's in ceramics in America. Uh, that is a wonderful annual magazine uh, edited by Robert Hunter. And the um, 2006 issue of that has a list of all of his um, signed pots. And there there are other places, but that would be, I believe, you can access that online, and mm-hmm. that would be that would be a good source for that. Right? Do you of, know? Yeah. Does it have a picture? I mean, of his works or just the? Listing it has wonder, one, wonderful pictures. Yeah. Wonderful pictures. Yes. And in the in my book in the back, uh, I have all of his poems, uh, uh, his inscriptions listed uh, chronologically with a little discussion of each one. Um, so that would be a good source as well. Right. Right. Well, do you have any? Parting words for us as it relates to you and your research and your discovery of being a descendant of a slave owner. Well, you know, really, it was that was such a an eye opener for me and humbling as well. And I had to revise my whole picture of my family. But here's the thing: I also had to write about it. I had to write this book because I had a book contract to write this the story of Dave and the story of my family. And I how to how to put all this in words, you know, was was my challenge. 
I um I I began when the first draft of my book, let's say, I began by being very very hard on my ancestors, you know, my slave-owning ancestors and emphasizing mm-hmm. the, the bad things, which there were many, which I could go into, but terrible things that I discovered and judging them very harshly. And then, you know, thank goodness it takes a long time to write a book and you have time to think and reconsider. And and anyway, I did, and I finally realized that, wait a minute, my job is not to judge these people. My job is simply to tell what happened. And I put a little post-it note on the top of my computer screen, and it's still there to this day. It's very faded, but I can still read it. And it says, simply tell what happened. And that was a big breakthrough for me, because if any judging is to be done, it's not me that's the one to do it. It's for the reader. I give them the facts as well as I can present them, and they can decide what to think about it all. And mm-hmm. so that that was a breakthrough for me to just let go and tell the story and uh, and let the chips fall where they may. Mhm, mhm. But then you have some people who may make this discovery, and either it's out of shame or guilt, they fail to even talk about it. They won't share it, and perhaps they're doing what you said you initially did, and that was to judge and to be very hard rather than just to tell the story. I think the important thing is tell the story. You know, don't Mm -hmm. hide it. Uh, And uh, I know I have interviewed, uh, during my search for Dave, I interviewed a lot of um, African-Americans from this area, and they were so welcoming to me and so helpful and wanted to help but in all in many many cases their parents and grandparents had not told the story to them and mm-hmm. so and of course and those people were dead now and so there was no recapturing it and so and the reason that they didn't want to tell them i understand it they they didn't want to burden them with a very very sad story Mm-hmm. And also, they didn't want them to become angry and get in trouble because a lot of the people, this is early on, but a lot of the people who did the bad things to their family were still around. Were still around, that's true, yes. You know, so I found that many of the stories from the slavery period were had been cut off here in this area anyway, and uh, because of well-meaning parents, you know, and grandparents. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in other cases they had been told, but of, often they had been cut off. And I just would um, hope that people would think of that and see that not as a good thing, but as it, the, the, the truth, to tell the truth, get it out, and and uh, as best you can, you know, in your circumstances. Yes. Tell the story. Get the truth out. 
And for for many, it will help them just understand their whole genealogy, the entire history of their family, because there's so much information that they can't connect the dots as you were able to develop the timeline of your family and then Dave. And that's the piece that's missing for so many people because they don't know the slave owner um, to even come up with this timeline. And, 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 and it is, in some cases, extremely difficult to tell the whole story. Yes, so do absolutely. you have any yeah, any parting words? Believe it or not, we're close to the end of the show. Oh my goodness. Um gosh, let me just say that uh there are some wonderful books out there about Dave, um, that I would just pass on the names. We have time to talk about that. Of course. Just briefly, there is a uh a, a lovely children's book about Dave called Dave the Potter. And it is, um, I have it right here, it's uh, the illustrations, beautiful color illustrations by Brian Collier, and the text is by Laban Hill. And it won the Caldecott uh, Award for, for Best Children's Book. So that's available. That that would be a wonderful way to share the story of Dave with children. Mm-hmm. And then there is a, a, a another book, a small, very personal book by a, a woman who just died, and I miss her very much. Her name is Andrea Cheng, C-H-E-N-G. Uh, it's called Etched in Clay, The Life of Dave, Enslaved Potter and Poet. And it's filled with uh, beautiful woodcuts that she did herself, uh, showing Dave at work, and it's quite a beautiful book. And uh, so uh, <coughs> there is also a film that uh, is out now, a, uh, a documentary. Uh, you could find it. Your, your listeners could Google Discovering Dave. And uh, the filmmakers are George Wingard, W-I-N-G-A-R-D, and Mark Alberton, Discovering Dave. So... Um, the story of Dave is really traveling abroad, and it makes me very happy. My book, Carolina Clay, I would love for your your readers to, to read the story of Dave and, and my family. Uh, I would like to uh, say that, that people can get in touch with me if they would like to at my website, www.leonardtodd.com, leonardtodd.com. And there's a page there that um, has a way to get in touch with me. And I would love to hear, maybe we're related. Who knows? Maybe you've, you know something about Dave that could help spread the story. So um, it would be wonderful to hear from your listeners. Oh, it would be wonderful. So thank you so much, Leonard, for for joining us today. And everyone, please remember... Your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, and research at the National Archives and beyond. 
You can continue this discussion on the research at the National Archives and Beyond and the AfroGenius.com Facebook pages. And also remember to, to listen to the African Roots Podcast with Angela Walton Raji. Thank you so much for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This show is sponsored by your host, Bernice Beebe's Genealogy Research and Educational Services, LLC, and my website is www.geniebroots.com. I look forward to everyone joining me next Thursday. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you so much for joining the show, Leonard. Bye-bye. Thank you.